Great to see you all here today. Glad to be here with you. Another beautiful Sunday morning, June in the desert. It's always beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's be honest. Who here has ever dreamed of winning the lottery? Anyone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Picture how you would spend the money, you know, how, how it might make your life different. Who wants a yacht, you know? <laughs> um, how about retiring? Who's dreamed about retiring? Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe finally being able to do the things you've always wanted, having the freedom to travel and wake up whenever. Has anybody dreamed of a career change? Yeah, not me. No, maybe. <laughs> you tired of your, your coworkers making f like bad jokes and um, you're wanting to find a vocation maybe where you're really passionate about it and something that really makes a difference in the world? Or who here is dreaming about graduating one day? I know I am, yep. <laughs> no more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks, right? <laughs> Some of you got that, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but seriously, graduation, getting ready to enter the next phase of your life, leaving behind all that student stuff, starting to make real, um, real decisions. Is anybody maybe dreaming about getting married or having children? Um, you know, you're thinking about growing your family, providing for others, having people around you who, who love you and people that you love. Uh, how about a little more personal, maybe some changes? Um, who's maybe hoping, looking to kick that bad habit? You dream about how healthy you would be if you could only finally stop doing that thing that you know you need to stop doing. Um, does anyone dream about maybe having a better marriage? You know, how, how much more peace would you have in your life if you and your spouse could finally get on the same page? Maybe some of you are dreaming about finally being able to get past that trauma from your past. Or maybe just trying to get over that sin that seems to keep weighing you down. So I think the reality is, is that we all want life change. There's, all of us have things in our lives that we're like, I would like that to be different. I, are you somebody, I mean, let, let's, is there anybody here who doesn't want their life to be different or better? <laughs> I, I, I've not met somebody who's like, I am super content with life and that's it. Like, I don't want anything to change ever again. But if that's you, God bless you, brother or sister. Um, that is not an experience I've ever had. There's always something that I've wanted to change whether about myself or about my uh, circumstances or about the life around me. So this week we're going to look at, we're going to continue looking at Isaiah chapter 6. Um, so if you want to read along with me, open your Bibles. We're going to be in the Lexham English translation, the Lexham English Bible, L-E-B. And it says this. So we're picking up in verse 5. We, we read verse 5 last week, and we'll start right there in verse 5. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking after he sees God. He says, Woe to me, for I am destroyed for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm living among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh, or the, Lo the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs, or seraphim, flew to me, and in his hand was a hot coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Look, this has touched your lips and has removed your guilt, and your sin is annulled or taken away. Or made non-existent. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, I am here. Send me. As we look at this passage this morning, I think we can see that 
the first point is facing God requires humility. Look at Isaiah's response, right? Facing God is about changing the heart. It's about heart change. And there were two steps for letting our heart be changed. And the first one is to recognize God as he is. God is holy. God is righteous. Isaiah saw God in his temple, and God was incredible. Remember, we talked last week. It's a whole sensory experience, being in the presence of God. God is different and amazing and incomprehensible to us. And then we need to recognize ourselves as who we are. We aren't good. We're broken. We're flawed. Look at Isaiah. He sees God, and the first thing that he thinks to say is, woe to me. Woe is me. I am unclean, and the people I live among are unclean. And again, remember, Isaiah's been preaching. Isaiah's a minister. Isaiah's already been saved, in a sense. He's already been serving God. He already was a faithful Jew. He wasn't a non-believer. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody who was living on the outside of God's plan. He was on the inside. He was like people here today, Christians, church members. That's Isaiah's experience. He'd be like me, already a pastor for several years, teaching and preaching God's word, being faithful to serve the Lord. That's what Isaiah was. And yet he sees God and he recognizes in that moment not that, yeah, I've got it pretty good. I'm pretty close to the Lord. He doesn't say, well, I've been preaching for, you know, several years now, maybe a decade at this point. I, I, think, I'm, I think I've got a, a good sense on things. That's not what he says. He says, woe is me. Right? So, so facing God is not about knowing the right things or doing the right things. It's about having the right heart. And that heart needs to be humble. Humble in the presence, in the face of God. We talk about true humility. And we express true humility through something called repentance. It means turning, right? It doesn't mean becoming perfect. It doesn't mean forever, never, ever sinning again. Repentance just simply is a, is a, is a very simple word picture. Here's what it is. You're going this way, and then you say, wait a minute, God's over there, and repentance is turning, that's it. It's not going back over here. It's not making up the distance. Repentance isn't, isn't, isn't running and embracing God and doing all the right things. Repentance is simply, I have my back to God and I turn around. That's what repent means. That's what humility is. True humility is repentance. And that's what Isaiah says. He says, my lips are unclean which is kind of ironic because he's been a preacher. Isaiah preached his sermons. Even though they're written here, Isaiah spoke with his mouth the word of God. And when he sees God, he recognizes how unworthy he is. He humbles himself. He not only recognizes his own sin, he recognizes his, the corporate failures, the failures of the people around us. It's like today's church. As we come to church and we, we desire to be God's people in 22nd Street, we desire to impact the community, to make disciples who make disciples, to share the gospel with people. We need to recognize that we are sinners and we are all sinful. And our church and the people of God in this country have failed in a lot of ways and have made mistakes. And we have put stumbling blocks before other people. And we need to 
confess that and recognize that. Because if we're looking for life change, we can't be changed until our heart is changed. We need to have true humility. We need to repent. And then repentance brings transformation. So, facing God requires humility. The next step, hearing God requires purity. I want you to see the order of things here. So, Isaiah sees God. Isaiah recognizes his sin. He turns, he repents. And then the angel brought the hot coal, and he said, your sins have been taken away. Your lips are now clean. And then he heard God. Look at the order there. God initiates the change. Isaiah didn't reach out and grab the coal for himself. The coal was brought to him. And remember, this is the presence of God. The seraphs are flying around. God commanded the angel to take the coal, even though it's not explicitly stated in the text. It is there in the context. God, nothing happens in God's presence without God's express permission and intention. So God initiated the change. And what change was made? Verse 7, my guilt and sin was gone. How is this made? The hot coal, which was a direct, it directly addressed Isaiah's issue, right? It, Isaiah says, my lips are unclean, and so this hot coal comes. So if we want to be changed, how do we experience change? We, we want to be changed. We want life change. We want, we want that purity. We want to see God, and we want to, we want to face God, and we want life change. So what, what do we do? Do we sit around and wait for a hot coal to have an experience with God like Isaiah where a hot coal is touching our lips? Or like Noah said this morning as he read Exodus, do we sit around and wait for our own fire, you know, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud? We wait for some kind of magnificent expression of God. Or maybe we struggle with anger. You know, do we, do we sit around and wait for God to dump ice-cold water on our hearts? Um, maybe, maybe we struggle with wandering eyes. We wait for an experience with God where he presents these beautiful blinders, and finally our eyes are healed. No. No. How do we access this sort of change? Any thoughts? Jesus. <laughs> the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. Thank God for Jesus. We can be pure. We can have life change. We call it the gospel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And what is the gospel? I have a, an acronym that I, I learned a long time ago that has really stuck with me. My acronym for the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, God, that's the G. God made us. He created us. Our sins, that's the O-S. We made bad decisions and we ran away from God. Paying, separated from God, we were full of shame. The wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. So God, our sins, paying, the wages of sin is death. Everyone, but God loved the world that he sent his only son. God initiated a massive change that anyone who believes, anyone who believes, everyone can believe life. God, our sins, paying everyone life. That's the gospel. Whoever repents, believes, and confesses can have eternal life. That's how we get pure. We embrace the gospel message in our lives. And then in doing so, we are transformed on the inside. Our hearts are changed and we experience purity. And look at Isaiah. He didn't hear God until 
he was changed. He could not obey God. He could not please God until his heart was changed, until his lips were cleaned, until his sin was taken care of. So do we want closeness to God? Do we want to experience life change that comes from deeply abiding in his presence? We must be washed and we must be cleansed. There is no sin in the presence of God. God cannot tolerate sin. So if we want to see his face, if we want to get close to him, we must be washed and purified. We must accept the gospel. But once we do, facing God changes everything. Facing God changes everything. Life change comes from God. Facing God, seeing God, hearing God. Before we can obey God or be changed on the outside, we must be changed on the inside. You know, in dealing with my own mental health, um, I, I have struggled for a long time, probably since I was an adolescent, with very deep emotional distress. It comes, it goes. Um, after, you know, the last several years, I've actually been getting help. So now I know it's a chemical imbalance in my mind um, that comes, and it's essentially severe depression is what I've been experiencing. But early on in my adult life, I had no idea <laughs> what was going on. I, I had no clue. Um, you know, I, I wasn't raised in a way that, that we talked about mental health. We didn't, we didn't acknowledge it very much. Um, so, so instead of trying to figure out what was going on the inside, I just m made every effort to change everything going on the outside. So I, I had this internal distress, and I was like, you know what? It's because my job isn't very good. So I was like, I'll, I'll get a new job. <laughs> it's, oh, I have this internal distress. You know what it is? This apartment we're living in isn't, isn't nice enough. So I, we'll get a new apartment. Um, yeah, uh, you know what it is? I was living in Phoenix, and I was like, ah, oh, Phoenix is awful. That's why I have all this distress. So I know, we'll, we'll leave Phoenix. And then I was like, oh, this church, it, it, this church is, I'm having all these issues with the pastor and these other people. So I'll change churches. But guess what? None of that actually changed anything. Six weeks after making an, a huge life change, I would be in the exact same place I was before I left because the problem wasn't out there. The problem was in here and in here. And so over the last year or so, um, God has blessed me. Uh, with the ability to make efforts to change my mental health, uh, you know, medication, therapy, counseling, accountability, things are improving on the inside. And as I've um, gotten more healthy internally, uh, things are changing on the outside. I'm like, oh, I don't need to change my address or my church or my job to be content. I just need uh, a deep abiding sense of the presence of God. And um, I think if we're honest, a lot of us have done something very similar. We have issues with our marriage. And what does the world tell us to do? Well, your spouse causing you trouble? Get another one. <laughs> just, just be done with that marriage and find another one. Uh, your work, your boss, you know, you having issues at work? Well, don't double down and try harder or look for different ways to grow or change. No, just get another job. Uh, in the, and we do this in the church world, too. Have issues with your pastor, the guy standing on the platform teaching things you don't quite agree with? Well, don't talk to him. Just don't show up ever again, right? This is what, this is what we do. 
instead of dealing with the problems on the inside. And, you know, uh, we, we want to fix things on the outside. I've seen this, too, with young men, um, Christians looking to, to deal with maybe a porn addiction. The first thing they're told is, get rid of your phone, get rid of your computer, deal with the outside. And while those can be helpful, they don't actually address the problem of the heart. We need to identify what is causing the desire to disobey God. What is happening here? What is happening in the heart that's making us want to do that in the first place? Yes, get accountability. Yes, put a blocker on your phone. But ultimately, that's not actually going to fix the problem. Do the same thing with anger. Like, that person makes me angry. So instead of dealing with the anger issue, figuring out what's going on in your heart, what's making you desire, you know what we say? That person's an idiot, and I'm never going to talk to them again. This is, this is what we do. It is so much easier to address problems out here in the world. It is so much easier for us to do things. We talked about this a bit last week. We, we can change our thinking, a lot of us, and we can change our habits and our hands, our actions, but we, a lot of us, have no idea how to change our heart. We're like, I don't know how to change my desires, so I'm going to, instead of trying to fix me on the inside, I'm going to fix everything on the outside. I'm going to set an alarm, and I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to go to Bible study every week, and I'm going to be at church every time the doors are open. I'm going to do all these things. But it never addresses the problem. And the problem is that we have hearts that are wicked, hearts that disobey, hearts that don't want to honor the Lord. But look at Isaiah. Look what happened to Isaiah. He sees God. He says, woe is me. I deserve destruction. I am ruined. I am destroyed because I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the angel touches his lips, purifies him, and then God says, I need a volunteer. And he's like, me! Hey, me! <laughs> like, you know, um, school assignments. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody asked for a volunteer? At work, maybe, maybe in the military. Hey, we're looking for volunteers. What's your first thought? Yeah. My first thought is, Volunteer for what? Volunteer for what? Like, what is it that I'm going to sign up? I want all the details. I want, I want to know exactly what it is that I'm going to be doing before I, before I, get, before I even think about saying yes. Now, that's not what Isaiah did. <laughs> Isaiah said, God's like, I need a volunteer. And Isaiah's like, me! Me! <laughs> right here, right here, right here. Please, please. We're going to look a little bit more at what Isaiah signed up for next week. Um, it wasn't an easy assignment. Let's just, I'll give you a little preview. He says, go say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears. Basically, God tells Isaiah, keep preaching, but nobody's going to respond. I could tell you as a pastor, it is not my hope that I preach and all of you just walk out of here like, oh, what just happened? We, we, we don't do this. 
so that nobody's changed. We do this with the hope of life change, but God tells Isaiah, you're going to preach and the people are going to ignore you. That's just a little preview of what's coming next week. But look at the life change here. Look at what I'm trying to point out is how can Isaiah go from woe is me to here I am, send me in three verses. Of course, the Bible is filled with transformation. We love stories of transformation. How many of you have been in church and maybe you've been a part of Celebrate Recovery, but the guy comes up and he's like, I was a drug addict and a drug dealer and I came to know Jesus and I haven't done any of that ever again. Or I was an alcoholic and I came to know Jesus and I haven't tasted alcohol since. How many of us are like, yeah, that's so cool. And then we look at our story and I'm like, that's not my testimony. That's not my testimony. Maybe you're still struggling with that sin. You're still struggling with that addiction. You're still struggling with that bad habit. But this is real life change. This is real lasting life change. This is something that we have a hard time understanding and processing. But here's what the Word says says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Remember, facing God is life-changing. Facing God changes everything. And how do we do it? We respond humbly and we repent. We need to be pure. And so, maybe that's where you're at today. You're struggling with your marriage. You're struggling with your career. You're struggling with sin. As they say in Celebrate Recovery, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But Acts 3.19, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. So this, this word repent, let's, as, as in closing, let's look at how do we repent. What are some ways that we can repent? Because repentance is the key, right? That's what Isaiah did. He repented. He, he recognized his sins. He turned to God and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be destroyed here if you don't save me. So, how to repent? First step is to remember and personalize God's truth. There's a lot of verses in Scripture that talk about sin, that talk about how we're sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral people, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor passive homosexual partners, nor dominant homosexual partners, nor thieves, nor greedy persons, not drunkards, not abusive persons, not swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 22, but I say to you, everyone who is angry at his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, stupid fool, will be subject to the council. Whoever says obstinate fool will be subject to fiery hell. Matthew 5, 27, 28, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's a lot of scripture passages that, that deal with sin. And so what we need to do is we need to remember those passages. We need to look them up. We need to commit them to memory. And then we need to personalize them. We need to be honest with God. And this, this is, we got to get real honest with God. And this is how I do it. I say, God, I have sinned, I have fallen short. God, I've been greedy. God, I've lusted. God, I have hated my brother. Personalize it. Take the Bible and make it your own. Not across the board, but when it comes to this issue, 
when it comes to your sin, recognize that God's word talks about it. Acknowledge it. Make it yours. Say, God, I have sinned. I have fallen short. And then what do we do? We turn. I have sinned. I have fallen short. And then we turn. We face God and we say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I don't want to sin anymore. God, I don't want to lust anymore. God, I don't want to hate anymore. This is not a vain promise. We're not saying, God, I will never do this again. That's not what it's about. And it's not even, look at Isaiah, right? All he did was say, my lips are unclean. He didn't, he didn't make a promise. He didn't live out some kind of purity. He didn't ex- experience God and say, well, from this day forward, I'm going to only do what's right. No, no. This isn't, this isn't a commitment to do better. Well, I'm going to try harder next time. Good intentions and willpower are not enough. And it's not that it's not enough, like you have to do that plus more. It's, it's not at all what God wants. God's not looking for your willpower. Because guess what? God knows you better than you do. God already knows the rest of your life. You say to God, I am never going to do this sin again. He's like, yeah, next Tuesday at 3 p.m. <laughs> like, you can't, you, can't, you can't make a promise to God. He knows. He knows who you are. But what does God want? He wants a humble heart. He wants you to be different here. The things that make you want to sin are your problem. It's not the fact that you look at pornography that's the problem. The problem is that you want to. It's not that you said something mean to your neighbor. It's that you wanted to. It's not that you didn't go to church or you didn't tithe. It's that you didn't want to. The problem of sin is not that it manifests in all these bad things we do. The problem of sin is that it's here. It's your desire. It's your will, your inability to please God on the inside. Because Jesus says, if you even look with lust in your heart, that is adultery. So, repentance isn't about actually doing different things. Repentance is about facing God, turning to him, and saying, God, here I am. Here's my life. I lay it all down before you. And then to the best of my ability, Lord, help me to change. And here's the beauty about repentance. Is that repentance isn't about walking or being good. Repentance is just about believing in the power of the resurrection. The change that you want in your life is already completed. Ephesians 2 says, and we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We've been lifted up and raised up, past tense, completed action. The change that you want to see, the life change that you're desiring and hungering for in Jesus by the power of the resurrection is finished. It's done. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to work really hard. You don't have to have good intentions and put all your will into it. You just have to have faith. Believe those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Romans 10, 9. What what does it mean, believe, that 
Jesus is raised from the dead, but it means that that resurrection is what changes you and changes me. As we repent, as we desire to repent, we turn to God with all of our trouble, with all of our struggles. He already knows what is wrong with us. And many of us, we not just make bad decisions, but we are broken. We are so broken. And we have to carry that brokenness with us. A lot of us do the rest of our lives. We want to be healed. We want to be changed. I don't want to have mental health issues. I don't want to wrestle with depression. But I'm going to have to carry that most likely the rest of my life. And there's people who struggle with things like same-sex attraction, other addictions. They may have to carry those the rest of their lives. But through the power of the resurrection, the power that comes with repenting, turning back to God, laying your sin out on the floor and saying, God, this is who I am, this is what I've done, being specific. And in that, in that turning, in that facing God, you can have your life changed. And we're going to look next week as we finish this series out at just how much that life change can really impact not just our lives, but the lives of those around us. So I'd encourage you this morning that as we, as the worship team comes up, as, as I spend a few minutes in prayer, I just want to encourage you to repent, to remember and personalize God's truth. Those of you who know scripture, those of you who have been in the church, you probably already know the scripture passage that speaks to your issue. You, you've read it and it's jumped out at you. Just take that scripture and make it your own. God, I am sexually immoral. God, I'm an adulterer. God, I'm a thief. God, I'm a greedy person. God, I'm a swindler. And I know that as a thief, I will not inherit your kingdom. God, I have lusted in my heart. God, I have said, you obstinate fool to my brother. And I know that that subjects me to fiery hell. But God... I want to turn to you this morning. I want, to, I want life change. I want to be different. I'm not making a promise that I'm going to do better. But God, I want to give you my heart. God, I want you to give me clean hands. God, I want you to raise up a generation that serves you. And I want to be part of that change.